episode 147 of the Cricket Her Weekly. As promised, this week's episode is brought to you in the immediate aftermath of England's first match of the Under-19 World Cup against Zimbabwe. Um, so we've just been watching that and it was a pretty comprehensive statement of intent from England, wasn't it? They made 199, which is the biggest score that we've seen so far in the tournament. Admittedly, we're only on day two, so who knows what's going to happen in the rest of the tournament. But 199 by England, they then bowled Zimbabwe out for 25. So that's a 174-run victory by England. And... Yeah, was that what we were expecting to see, Sid? I think it was pretty much what we were expecting to see in this game, but still great to see England really go for it and put in you know such positive performance. Um, and you know, as I just tweeted, how unusual to see kind of because it, for me the bowlers performed even better than the batters actually. Um, you know, and the, the batters putting on very very nearly two hundred, and then the bowlers go mm. you know come out and outshine them, and they just bowled really tightly. And you know, it's really easy to go out in those kind of situations and to to allow the other team to just kind of play out the overs or whatever but you know England bowled as, as positively as they batted and just a fantastic performance the other thing that really stood out for me compared to the other games that we've seen is that England's fitness is really on another level mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of reasons for this um, I suspect that the fitness coaches have been pushing them hard over the winter partly because that's one of the things you really can attack over the winter because we know that they've been training in Loughborough over, over the winter on, on yeah. a regular basis you know you, you, can't, you can't do a lot of outside stuff but you can certainly attack the fitness and England look really fit compared to all the other sides that we've seen uh, and also now partly that's because then there are a couple of full-time professionals in there there are not several other players that are part of their regional setups where obviously they're you know they're having a proper professional style fitness program and that really shows and I think what's interesting is that's going to really show later mm-hmm. in the tournament as well mm-hmm. um, that you know, the, the fact that England are chasing down balls in the outfield that you know other teams aren't getting anywhere near is, is going to make a difference when it comes to the tighter games um, but this one wasn't really tight at all was it um you know, and it felt as if at one point, as if England were heading for maybe 250, and then yeah. they, they kind of they did fall off a little bit at the end. I said this on Twitter. I got a little bit of criticism on Twitter for, for you know being slightly negative for pointing out they'd fallen off at the end. But I think that England's coaches will point out to the girls. You know, you, yeah. you didn't quite push it home at the end. You know, there weren't enough boundaries in the last couple of overs. You could have done better because you know when it comes to those final games of the tournament, when it comes to the semi-finals and finals, that's where it's going to make the difference. What do you think, Raph? What well, was your feeling watching? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was all about Grace Scribbins, and I may be a little bit biased. I know you've talked a lot about her over the last couple of years as being someone you're really excited about, and I actually interviewed her a few days ago for BBC Sport, um, and the interview went up today. Available now from all BBC Sport <laughs> websites. Uh, thank you for that, Sid. Yeah, sorry, it wasn't intended to be entirely just a plug about my interview, but the point was that I was so impressed talking to her, um, and it's a similar kind of impression that I went away with after the, my, the first interview that I did with Alice Capsey um, a couple of summers ago, somebody who is clearly so far advanced for their age group. Um, you, You can expect somebody perhaps to be putting in great performances on the field, but not necessarily at age 18, 19, be that articulate off the field. And Grace Scrivens is clearly somebody who's got such a great head on her shoulders. She's really focused. She's really determined. And that just showed in that opening game. Um, And, you know, it's 45 runs and four wickets. And she only conceded two runs. 
Um, and I think she bowled four overs and, and two of them were maidens. And it's just an incredible performance by her, a really all-round performance. And that is not unexpected given how much she is just seen to be so in control of her cricket and also in control of this team, actually, having been made the captain. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking about her as a future England captain. I've been saying that, you know, that England should be looking to make her captain within the next couple of years, you know, on Heather Knight's retirement. You know, I know people out there are thinking that's mad, but she's a, she's a special a special kind yeah. of leader. She's she's a once in a generation you know leader of people, and you know we saw some evidence of that today, didn't didn't we? In the way that she was like in command of the field, you know, and everything you know, she was she was like a general that knows where every soldier on the battlefield is. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one because your best player isn't necessarily always going to be a good captain. Um, and I would argue that in terms of all-round ability, she is the best player in that England squad. But she also just also happens to be a very good leader. Um, you know, somebody like Alice Capsey, I would say, is a very good player. And we just need to let her get on and, and do her cricket. And we'll get somebody else to actually think about captaincy. But Grace Scrivens is clearly able to juggle all those things. And I was just so impressed by the way that she talked about captaincy as being a way for her to give something to the team and, and to share the knowledge that she's gained from being part of the professional sun, um, setups at, at the Sunrises and the London Spirit with some of these other less experienced players. And just it being quite an unselfish way to talk about captaincy. Um, and that's quite that's quite refreshing yeah and in her post-match interview the first thing she did was you know she uh, Lydia Greenway was like you know oh Grace you're brilliant aren't yeah. you and she was like well no actually Liberty Heap's yeah. brilliant for example yeah. you know she, she she straight away kind of passed the credit around to other people you know and again that's that's the, that's a sign of great leadership really that's, that's a very Dana Van Nick she, she, she's like mm. that isn't she that's that's the classic thing that she did at the end of the first hundred final of going I'm not going to lift the trophy I'll let you you lift yeah. it because it's not all about me yeah. so you know just, just fantastic now well seeing as we're on captaincy, Raf, because yeah. you had some thoughts about the Indian captaincy, didn't you? Because in some ways that's gone a little bit differently. Now Shafali was made captain. Clearly, the, you know the, the senior player. She's, yeah. she's the rock star. You know the rest of them are just the backing singers. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so what we saw yesterday in India's opening game um, was that Shafali was kind of on point with the bat, and India did end up beating South Africa. If you look at the scoreline, it looks like a reasonably easy victory. But South Africa made over 160 batting first um, and that was quite unexpected actually because we'd certainly gone into the tournament thinking India are going to be far and away the favourites um, based on the fact that they've got um, Shafali and, um, and Risha Ghosh playing for them um, and you know the, the way that she actually captained it felt to me a few times like she lost control a little bit and that she kind of let it get away from her and um, and that she wasn't quite sure what to do. You could see her wanting to go to off do. into a sulk. And well, yeah, and, and um, you know, in a way, what I was trying to say about Grace Scrivens is perhaps you might expect from somebody who's a t who's still a teenager that that might be a risk because, you know, goodness knows, when I was 19 years old, I was not mature enough to not go off into a sulk. I mean, I'm like nearly 35 and I I'm sometimes still go off into a sulk. Don't say anything, Sid. <laughs> Um, and so that might be something that we would more expect but actually what is so important if you're the captain is you can't do that you can't afford to do that and the difficulty that India have got I think is that they've given the captaincy to Shafali Verma and you know I don't know to what extent she's got captaincy experience um, I don't know whether she was necessarily the right person to to take on this role given um, that she has those characteristics of being somebody who wants to sort of kind of go off in her own direction and almost needs to be reined in a 
little bit by somebody else in the main Indian setup. That's fine because she's the junior player and you've got Harman Precor and you've also got, you know, Smriti who can tap her on the shoulder and say, look, actually, um, you, you know, please, can you not sulk? Um, but whereas in this context, she has to be responsible for the team. But the dilemma is that when she's the senior player coming in, who else do you give it to? Who else is is she actually going to submit to their authority at this point, given how many internationals yeah. she's already played? Um, so that's going to be really interesting over the next few weeks of the tournament to see how that plays out. Um, and as I say, India did end up winning that game against South Africa. Yeah, they did. I mean, South, Africa, South Africa gave them a, a bit yeah, of a fright, didn't they? they? Did. Because, because India had kind of wiped the floor with South Africa in some warm-ups that they played around Christmas. Um, and, uh, you know, but South Africa came out and it, it was a it was like a, di- a different side. And, and, you know, they put on a, a fair whack of runs, 160-odd. Yeah. Um, and, you know... If it hadn't been for Shafali making the kind of stuff, I mean, she made, a, you know, she hit, you know, four, forty-five runs off twenty-five balls, something like that. Well, there was that one um, over where she just went four, 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 six, four, whatever it was. It yeah, was like all boundaries off in every an ball. over. Yeah. And um, so, you know, if it, if it hadn't been for her, then India might have actually found it difficult to chase yeah. that title. But the important thing from India's perspective is they got the result. Yeah, they did Unlike get the result. Australia. Australia. Oh, what a fantastic opening game of the tournament this was. We were sat there watching it and, um, you know, obviously we're English and so watching Australia lose, there's a certain amount of pathos there always. I think we have to admit that. But it's also the fact that we're so used to Australia winning everything, aren't we? And we're also kind of used to, um, when you go into a Women's Cricket World Cup nowadays, um, Australia are going to win everything and um, most of the games are it's going to be relatively easy at an early stage to predict the result and this just completely upended expectations the way that Bangladesh played in that yeah because it game. wasn't like you know some, sometimes you get these freak results if you know if Australia had you know had a hor- horrendous mid-order collapse yeah. and wound up you know they, they've been 80 for one but they wound up you know 90 for seven and then scraped to 110 and then lost the, but that wasn't what they're talking about no. you know, they, they made well over 120 120 does look like you know it might be kind of a par score on some of these pitches and and so you know it was a good batting performance yeah. but Bangladesh went out there and they played positively they played with confidence yeah. um you know they 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 eased into it a little bit yeah. but they accelerated when they need to and they they got themselves over the line and that was that was really great to see and that's kind of really Something. lit up the tournament I yeah. think I think that and it's going to be great to see some of these these other teams and these other players the ones that we know nothing about yeah. coming through yeah. you know what it reminds me of Raf and this is this is this is showing going to show my age terribly <laughs> but it reminds me of a bit of the, the men's football World Cup in 1982 oh um, that's a way back <laughs> I think this might have been before you were born Raf but the men's football World Cup <laughs> Well, people can do some math because I've just said I'm 34 <laughs> earlier in this. Anyway, go on. Um, so in this country in particular, in, in England, um, it was kind of, it felt like the first men's football World Cup, which there was kind of really complete coverage. It was in Spain, so the time zone was right. Um, a, the price of colour televisions had come down substantially, so a lot of people had bought colour mm. televisions between the, the previous World Cup that England had competed in in 1974 and 1982. Don't forget, England didn't, Qualify to the 1978 World Cup. So okay, again, it's less emphasis. This is now emphasis. turning into a men's football <laughs> podcast. So shall we get to the point, Sid? The point is that um, what people saw there was they, there was suddenly an awareness of all these other teams around the world that, okay. that there wasn't before, and you know there was agitation to bring some of these players to the prem to the well, what what was the first division at the time? What's now the Premier League? And and players you know were plucked out of that World Cup and came into the prem to the 
the first division. It wasn't the Premier League at the time. Um, and it was just like a, a, a sort of awakening about the global nature of football, which at, at, in, back in 1982 was still quite Anglo-centric. Now, cricket, we're, we're, we're kind of, maybe not Anglo-centric, but we're certainly centric. So, you know, we know that what the India are going to put in performances on Australia and England. But, you know, but the, the fact is that there, there are other countries out there, you know, and if they've got solid junior programmes, then and they've got a few good players, they're going to be able to be competitive. And so that's what's going to make this tournament exciting, I hope. And I mm. hope that they're not the only team that, that, that is able to achieve some of those kind of results. And what I was going to say was that actually these results then potentially carry through to the Super Sixes stage, don't they? Because we're expecting Australia and Bangladesh to both qualify. So that head-to-head -head game, that result between them could be critical yeah, in no, Australia I'm... reaching or not reaching the semi-finals. Yeah, no, this, this, this is Australia's problem now. Australia could be in trouble here as a result wow. of this. Because, you know, one, if, if we assume that Australia lose to India, which, you know, on paper is probably the likely result... And, and Bangladesh win the, West, win the rest of their games except the game against India, then Australia are not going to make the semi-finals. Okay. So Australia are an, almost at a point where they're relying on other sides to do them a favour in order to make those semi-finals. That's really interesting. So, and, so, and actually, you know, it's not that we revel in Australia doing badly. It's just that that kind of a result would be really interesting and totally upend the way in which people view international women's cricket. For so long it's been, oh, Australia's system is, um, you know, so much better than everybody else's and and just you know streets ahead and if they didn't make the semi-finals that's a big that's a big wake-up call potentially or it's actually a, a really exciting opportunity for some of these other sides um to to make a case for more investment in themselves um so yeah i think it's potentially really exciting from from that perspective and perhaps what we're seeing is that even a country where you've got a really developed senior structure still has a long way to go in terms of the levels of professionalism that's happening at youth level, at age group level, below, you know, age 18, 17, whatever it is, when people are first getting these yeah. professional contracts. Yeah, I mean, there's still a long way to go in the tournament. Yeah. Australia could still wind up winning the tournament. Yeah, and, we're, getting, we're getting excited <laughs> but, about it. But it's interesting. It's got people talking. That's it. That feels really positive. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoying right. it. Loving it. Let's switch to a less positive subject, Sid, um, because the second thing that we wanted to talk about this week, actually, um, was some news that's broken in regard to Afghanistan, which is a subject that we've tackled before on the broadcast. We've taken a very clear stance that we think it's completely unacceptable that the ICC are continuing to permit Afghanistan to be a full member despite the fact that they are clearly doing nothing now to promote women's cricket. They're not even paying lip service to women's cricket anymore as they were before the Taliban took over. And it's not even about women's cricket. I mean, let's, let's, let's get real about this. This, is, it's not, this isn't about cricket. This is about the fact that, that women are now no longer allowed to exercise. In some parts of Afghanistan, women aren't allowed to leave their home without a male chaperone. You know, women have been totally taken out of the picture in terms of education. So, you know, women aren't even allowed at a high school education now, let alone a university education. And, you know, all, all these things are just, you know, the, completely the opposite of the way that, you know, we want the world to progress. And, you know, this is the kind of things that we should, you know, be taking a stand against. Okay. And so the development that's happened this week, obviously I completely agree with everything you said, it goes without saying. Um, but the development that's happened this week is that um, the Australian team, um, or the, the uh, Cricket Australia, 
um, have announced that they cancelled um, their um, ODI series against Afghanistan that was scheduled for March. This is the um, men's ODI series. Exactly, yeah. Um, so they issued a statement basically um, kind of almost saying something similar to what you've just said, that, that they can't continue to play um, international cricket against the country where these kind of things are happening. Um, but there's been a little bit of back and forth subsequently. The Afghanistan Cricket Board did not um, make any bones when they issued a, uh, a statement in response to this. They said that they thought that Cricket Australia's statement was pathetic and that they were prioritising political interests over the principles of fair play and sportsmanship and undermining the integrity of the game and damaging the relationship between the two nations. Cricket Australia in turn has then hit back um, and Nick Hockley, who's a man actually I've got a lot of time for, I interviewed him before the um, mm-hmm. World Cup in 2020, um, he says basic human rights is not politics. It's a good it's a good statement. Yeah, um, I mean, but even if it was politics, you know, honestly, and this this is a case where politics should be in sport. And it's the, the one thing that's been disappointing again this week is to see people, uh, people mostly from the left, going, "Oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't let sport and politics interfere with each other." Guys, these are the, exactly the same arguments that were being made by the the far right in the 1970s and 80s about South Africa by the people from the right and then that point that wanted to maintain sporting ties with South Africa or the people from the left wanted to you know challenge apartheid with the one of the few ways that we could challenge apartheid by breaking those sporting links we're not even talking actually about um, saying oh well Afghanistan can't be a member of the ICC anymore which is what happened to South Africa all we're saying is you can't be a full member anymore because being a full member comes with responsibilities and what Afghanistan have done since they were admitted to full membership in 2017 is um, you know, take all of the money that you get from, from the ICC for being a full member. They've enjoyed the benefits of playing full internationals against other full members and being in World Cups. Um, and they haven't, um, as I say, they haven't pursued any of the responsibilities which go along with being a full member, which means... Um, having a women's team and doing your utmost to develop women's cricket. Um, and so, as we've said before on the forecast, um, the ICC should have acted by now. There do seem to be, um, in line partly with this Cricket Australia decision, some rumours or some suggestions that the ICC may end up um, at their next board meeting in March actually reviewing this and potentially doing something about it. On the other hand, I did see something on Twitter earlier today that suggested that there was um, a rumour that um, some of the other um, mem- full members of the ICC, India, um, I think it was Pakistan and Sri Lanka, um, are potentially then going to oppose that. Um, again, we're talking about politics here. Um, it's potentially about, um, you know, it's nothing to do with Afghanistan in that respect. It's actually just about them wanting to get one over um, against England and Australia. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that at this stage, all we can do is, you know, cross our fingers and, you know, hope that the ICC do the right thing. But, you know, I'm, we, we wait for, for their next board meeting a little later in the year and we'll find out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, we'll hope for, hope for a more positive, upbeat podcast next week because we seem to have ended the last couple on some quite downbeat notes. But I suppose that's... Um, the way of the world at the moment, unfortunately. Um, anyway, we will look forward to watching some more matches in the Under-19 World Cup over the next week, and we will see you next weekend. Bye.